Chapter 14 of Homecraft Rugs, Their Historic Background, Romance of Stitchery and Method of Making by Lydia LeBaron Walker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joanne Turner. Scalloped or Petal Rugs. Chapter 14 includes Color Plate 17, which may be viewed in the online version of the book. Although old-time petal or tongue rugs were negligible floor coverings, they can be very beautiful as made today. One antique petal rug, which is a precedent for the modern ones, was developed in shades of wood brown intended to portray the seared tones of fallen leaves that in autumn carpet the ground beneath oak trees. The cloth for this very odd and exceptional rug was dyed a soft and mellow brown typical of these leaves. By using a strong solution of dye for petals to form the outer border rows, and by gradually watering the dye and decreasing the strength for subsequent rows, the gradation of color from the deepest dye to the lightest in the center of the rug was easily obtained. One of the grandchildren tells of this rug lying on the floor before the mantelpiece in the seldom used parlor of the old homestead, and the repeated warnings not to step on it when she was permitted to go in and see the various things treasured in the room. Occasionally, as in this case, some artistic rug maker would instill beauty into her scalloped rug by grading tones of a single color, and the leaf or petal idea is found in such rugs. They supply the rare instances in which the name petal rug was applied as it is the one most worthy of continuance because of immediately conveying the impression of beauty without any lack of structural significance, it is chosen herewith for use in this chapter. It will be proven especially consistent with present-day developments of this erstwhile odd and uninteresting type into mats of pronounced charm in which design and color unite in ways hitherto unknown in scalloped floor coverings. The scalloped tongue or petal rug, by whichever term it is called, derives its name from the shape of the applique motifs. It belongs to the same family as the mosaic rug, the difference consisting in the shapes of the motifs and the way they are assembled, rather than in the manner of construction. It is also closely allied to the applique patchwork rug, for each motif is of fabric appliqued to a foundation. In the petal rug, the foundation is completely hidden by the motifs, while in the applique patchwork, the surface into which they are secured is visible. By whichever name this rug is called, so definite is it that it would seem to restrict the shape of the motifs with like precision, but such is not the case. The contour may actually be that of some classic unit, such as the fish scale or the shell, or it may be in the shape of a fan. Consistency is then disregarded, and the rug still comes under one of the three names given. This does not necessarily mean that those who originally created the rugs were unacquainted with classic motifs, but that in the early days of American settler life, the people chose simple and homely terms of expression. Witness the name washboard mat. Why not fluted or corrugated? Words quite as apt and far more euphonious, 
though not to the liking of the pioneers. So also were caterpillar braid and caterpillar rugs, terms of their choosing in preference to the more elegant-sounding chenille, which is equally descriptive and accurate. We find the same tendency in the rugs now under discussion. It is true that just as the name was a bit crude, so also were the rugs. The textiles used were uninteresting, likewise the color schemes and combinations. Old-time scalloped rugs have little to recommend them beyond ingenuity and age, characteristics for which they are kept. The faults of the antique mats cannot well be blamed upon the rug makers, who did the best with what they had. Textiles had not reached present-day diversity and color, and the dye pot was seldom resorted to in scalloped rug craft, as there was little need of matching scraps of fabric and design did not enter into the making. Scalloped rugs were only attempted when the homemaker had a plentiful supply of cloth heavy enough to be adequate. The colors were presumably sufficiently good for floor coverings since they had been used previously for frocks and suits. It was in the arrangement of colors in contrasting rows or bands and in the hue of the thread used to finish off edges and secure them to foundations, that any semblance of pattern resulted or flecks of gay shades were introduced. The modern rug illustrated, which employs both design and color, is the work of an artist skilled in the use of pigments and acquainted with classical forms. It demonstrates the suitability of this rug technique to patterns far beyond those found in old scallop mats, in it, there is the suggestion of choice, old cloisonne, which fits in admirably with the era when these rugs were first being fashioned. The rug is shown in its harmonious color combination on plate 17. Sea captains brought back many real art treasures, and among them, pieces of cloisonne from the Far East or from England, where they had landed previously and were purchasable. The furniture of the period showed Chinese influence, especially that of the master craftsman, Chippendale. Fabrics for hangings, embroidered shawls, etc. came from the Orient, together with rugs. It is therefore particularly appropriate that this novel petal rug pictured should reflect the Chinese spirit while preserving the inherent rag-rug quality of the craft. By this treatment, it becomes no less well-suited to colonial decoration than if it were one of the crude scalloped mats that fail of real beauty. In the rug pictured, an apex of classic design in petal rug formation is reached. It is a criterion of excellence without presenting any difficulties in making. The rug is developed in felt, and therefore requires no buttonholing to prevent fraying. If other fabrics that necessitate stitchery are chosen, use a dull yellow thread, mercerized, to suggest the metal cloisons. Another thread, matching the color of the textile on which it is used, tacks each petal to the foundation fabric. The diagram shows the shapes of the petal units. It will be found in the back of the book with full directions. A round rose rug is another modern type of petal rug. 
It is made in graduated shades of any natural rose color. The final rows of the rug that serve as a border for the darkest rose petals should be in green to suggest foliage. The center petals, which may be yellow to indicate stamens, should be somewhat smaller than those in other rows in order that they may accommodate themselves to the smaller circumferences. This same rug can be carried out in shades of lavender like an aster, or have the petals a trifle narrower and be in any chrysanthemum tones. In all of these guises, it remains a flower petal rug. If it is carried out in a formal instead of a realistic way, it retains the right to the name because of its petal formation. The Chinese influence may continue if the flower represents a peony, one oriental meaning of this posy being wealth. It is possible to develop pond lily rugs with central flowers on the order of those in the chrysanthemum petal rug in cloisonne style, or shades of violet can be blended against a background of mottled green to suggest violets growing on some shady bank. In turning from these rugs that have their inspiration in flowers and leaves to those of more classic style, we find that often the shapes of motifs are varied. In the fish scale rug, the shape links the rug with mosaic floor coverings, though the scales encroach upon one another as in the petal rug. This pattern will be recognized by quilt enthusiasts as the fan design. Whatever the size and shape of a petal rug may be, or the contour of units, the construction is the same. Each consists of a foundation and enough petals to cover it completely, allowing for necessary overlapping. There must be thread either to match the petals or to contrast with them for the ornamental stitchery. The rug should be lined with a stout fabric. Denim is recommended. In olden times, ticking was used, but this does not give as presentable a reverse side to the rug. The binding may be tape, braid, or carpet binding. A coarse sewing thread is needed for the plain sewing. While ticking is not recommended for the rug lining, it has its advantage as a foundation textile for rectangular or square rugs. The blue stripes form gauges for the units in one direction, and it is a simple matter with a yardstick and a soft pencil to draw corresponding lines at right angles to these bars for gauges in the opposite direction. Denim is advised for round rugs. It can be marked off for contour and inner gauging circumferences in the same manner as the foundation for the round ravel pile knit rug. The tongue or petal-shaped units should be cut from woolen cloth with a firm body. Cotton or linen is never used for these rugs. The texture is not suitable. Felt is excellent, and such fabrics as broadcloth, ladies' cloth, and other non-fraying textiles. They require no protective stitchery about edges. A textile likely to ravel is buttonholed or blanket-stitched. A gold and yellow silk or mercerized crochet cotton or black is favored. Whichever is chosen, use it for all edges, except when the stitchery is done in tones matching the colors of textiles in order that it may be inconspicuous.
Units are sewed along the straight edge to the foundation. Use the stout thread for this and also to tack the foundation and lining together. Take the tacking stitches under the petals where they will not show. Bind the lining and foundation together with braid or carpet binding and sew with the same thread. Patterns for units should be cut from paper folded through the middle. Regulation tongue-shaped units should be cut straight across one end and slightly rounded at the other with straight sides. Units may be three inches wide when opened out by four and one-half inches long and from this size down to two by three inches. Round rugs should have units for center rows smaller than for outer ones since the circumferences are small around the center. Not more than two sizes were ordinarily used in old scalloped mats, but in modern petal rugs there is more freedom in this matter, as well as in shapes and arrangement of units. However the units are disposed, the straight end is never visible, while the curved end is always held flat to the foundation and to the underlying straight unit ends which it conceals by a single or double cross stitch taken near the tip. For this, the embroidery silk is used. The foundation may be any desired size that is a multiple of the width of units to be sewed along the edge, for the units meet at edges but do not overlap along their sides. The cutting of units and the embroidery around the edges make good pickup work. All this should be done and the pieces assembled before the units are sewed to the foundation. Commence work by pinning the units from the center of each lengthwise edge towards the corners. Proceed along crosswise edges in the same manner. Finally, put in the corner units diagonally. The outer row of petal units is the first to be sewed to the foundation and should completely encircle it. Each unit should extend sufficiently beyond the edge to form a scalloped border and conceal the foundation. The units are laid on the foundation precisely as shingles are laid on a roof, that is, each row overlaps the units of the row previously put on, forming what is called the drop pattern arrangement, whereby the curved portion comes over the line between motifs making rows alternate in order. Each motif should overlap those in the preceding row by one inch. This allows the straight end of each piece to be completely concealed. In the usual rectangular rug without design, the short, narrow center row has all units placed in a line, with the curved tips turned away from the center, half pointing one way and half the other, while one motif, with curves at each end, fits directly over the middle of the rug. In this way, all straight ends are neatly concealed. In a round rug, the pivotal unit is round. In a rug with a somewhat irregular pattern, the arrangement must be such that the center row is taken care of by the design. The foundation should be on a table when the motifs are sewed to it, and care must be exercised to keep it smooth. When the motifs are all sewed in position and the cross stitches have been taken near their tips as described, line and bind the rug. 
when rugs take the actual floral formation instead of the cross stitch, three straight lines may be done in outline stitch, two diverging from the central perpendicular one, to give the effect of veins in leaves. Petal rugs take but little time to make and but a small quantity of textile. Each motif lies flat and covers almost its full surface area of foundation. The only necessary calculating for material beyond that of the completed rug area is for the overlapping inch and the extension beyond the outer edge. There is a minimum amount of stitchery, much of which can be done in odd moments, hence the rapidity of the work. That the rugs can acquire genuine artistry is immediately recognized by a glance at the rug illustrated in Plate 17. End of Chapter 14